So, I'm not even, I don't want to intro too long because we've got a lot of notes to get through. And not just for the sake of getting through the notes, but I really, we're gonna, I'm going to go somewhere with this, but I've got to lay a foundation because if I don't lay a foundation, I don't want to lose you. And we've got we to be sure-footed in how we walk this out. And we can do that because Kenneth E. Hagin says, the closer you stick to the word, the more correct you will be. So that's our plan today. We're just going to sit close to the word. We're going to tuck ourselves safely under the shadow of the Almighty God, and we're going we're to get revelation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that we can gather together as your children under the, the anointing of your spirit, and we can hear from you. And that you have something to say to us, I believe, Father, as a body of believers. And I believe that we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it and we're going to know it. So I pray over everyone that hears this message that they would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand what you're saying to us in this hour. That we will begin to see your word in, with light and no darkness. And it will become very plain to us what you're saying to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you're taking notes, which might be a good idea because you might want to go and study all these things after I get through with you, but you can, your first title can be Denying the Power, okay? I'm going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to switch between New Living and New King James uh, throughout here, but uh, we'll, I'm sure you can, it'll be fine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred, and they will be unloving and unforgiving, And they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The New King James says verse 5 this way, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. As people of the church, we would, I mean, we could very easily fit into the religious. Oh, well, they're, you know, you talk to anybody in the show, well, yeah, they're religious. But, so, let's, let's not be the ones that deny the power. So let's look at that. We don't want to deny the power. We're not going to do that. We're not people that deny the power of God. So next title, the power was promised. Let's look at that. What is the power? How do we get the power? Power. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 3 to 5 and then verse 8. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus. You know what? If that was my name, I'd just like it shortened to Theo. So... In my first book, I told you, Theo, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So this is like after Jesus died on the cross and he's been risen from the dead. So this is what, this is what they're talking about. So Jesus began to do and teach until the the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So during those 40 days that he walked around among us um, uh, as in his glor- like a glorified body, after he had suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He was alive, and it took them a little while to... And I think it would have taken us all a little while to believe, like, man, I saw you die. Okay, you're alive. Okay, I... You know, it would take a little while for that to sink in, maybe. But he, he went away, and he showed them, proved to them many ways he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, guys, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he, he says again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now he's referring to a promise. He's like, guys, you already know the promise, remember? that I already told you about. So let's go back to John 14 where he tells, he's telling them this promise. John 14, 16, and 17. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Jesus is prophesying to them saying, the helper's coming. And of course at that time, they probably... I'm sure they didn't know. They didn't understand the scope of what he was talking about. But now they're getting close here. Like Jesus has died. He's risen. And he's on his way to heaven now. And I think the reality of this promise is starting to hit home a little bit. Because he's like, I'm leaving. But I'm sending the helper. So John 16, he's, uh, just a couple chapters later, he's explaining it further. And he says in John 16, 5 to 7, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they're kind of feeling down there. He's talking about going away, and he's talking about leaving them. And they're kind of getting used to this ministry life with him. They don't want him to go away. He's their, their BFF, and he's like their, their ringleader, and things are happening. Like, you're just going to go away? So he's like, he can, see it. he can tell that sorrow has filled their heart. And he goes on to say, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He's trying to get across to them this truth that we're moving into it. You guys are going to be moving into a stage where you're not just going to have God walking among you. Jesus in the flesh, but you're moving into a stage where you're now going to have God inside you. Not just God among you, God inside you, the helper in here, walking around wherever you go. And the, well, I'll just hold on. I'll go in order. Don't get too ahead of myself. John 16, then he continues, um, just right where we were, verse 12 to 15, then he says, I still have many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, I like howevers. However, when he, 
the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He tells a lot, he gives us a lot of insight here on what, who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to do. So let's just break it down a little bit. In other translations, we can see that he's also called the comforter. He's called the counselor. And we see in this passage, he's called the spirit of truth. He's called the advocate. And he's called the helper. You know, Holy Spirit, he does all the things. We can see in scripture that he does all the things that Jesus did, except he doesn't have the same limitations that Jesus had. Jesus had a body he had to minister in. So he could be with a group of people here, but he couldn't be with that group over there in another location. He had some physical limitations uh, placed on him as he carried out his role, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have those physical limitations. But he still does all the same ministry that Jesus did. So Jesus was called our first advocate with the Father. And the Holy Spirit is called another advocate. And Holy Spirit is called alongside And he provides for us advice or counsel. And he strengthens and encourages. I'm getting all, in case you're wondering, I'm getting all this from John 16 still. Okay? I haven't haven't changed scriptures. He will teach men the true meaning of the words sin and righteousness and judgment. In the church, those are are some terms, and even in the world, that, that are misunderstood because people without the Holy Spirit don't, don't have the ability to understand what those words mean in their fullness. Holy Spirit will speak to us what he hears God say. And I want to point something out before we go any further. How many wor- times the word will is in this passage? And it's just, it starts out good. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, not, not if the Spirit of truth makes it here, if, if you guys get your act together and he makes it here, No, it wasn't on anything that the disciples or apostles could do at that time. It was just, when the Spirit comes, because when I go, he's coming. This is what he will do, not what he maybe will do. No, this is what he will do in you. And the Holy Spirit's come. Jesus isn't here walking around, is he? He's not walking around in the flesh. So if he's gone, that means Holy Spirit's come. We're going to get into that and see that in the Word too, but... That's good news for us. Holy Spirit has come. So all these things that, God, that Jesus said that Holy Spirit would do, he is doing. He is guiding us into all truth. And he is speaking. And he is telling us the things to come. And he is glorifying Jesus. And he is taking what, is, what was Jesus's and declaring it to us. That's what he's doing right now. That's the work of Holy Spirit right now. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with all this. Got to build our foundation. So that heading was the power was promised. So now the next heading is the power arrives. We're going to Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. So remember Jesus had told them, wait 
wait in the city until the Holy Spirit comes, until you receive the power, until you're endued with power. He told them to do that. So they began meeting together, and they didn't leave the city. They did what he said. And, and the day of Pentecost came, and all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Because you have to remember in those days, they didn't have the loud things that we have today. They don't have jet engines. They didn't have... Um, loud bass music, you know what I'm talking about? They didn't have that. But so the loudest thing, I mean, this writer could think of was the roaring of a, a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, I'm going to just, you won't, might not get this reference, but I'm just going to put a pin in this right now. Has anyone here seen the movie Bolt? Probably not. Yeah? Yeah? Put a pin in it. We're just going to boop, put a little pin there. Because I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to take a little trail over here because we've got to be on the same page with this, okay? So, we're going to come around and come right back to where we are. But, the gift of Holy Spirit is two, involves two experiences, Okay? And in the scripture, Jesus uses, like he gives a beautiful example that helps us understand this. And he uses um, water as a type of Holy Spirit. And we're going to go through these scriptures, but I'll start with this. So you are born of the Spirit. You've had your new birth. That's that's the new birth. Being born of the Spirit means you've received it your new life in Christ. You have eternal life now. You've been born again. So one way the Bible puts that is being born of the Spirit. So once you have done that, you've received your new life, and you're being recreated, you have the Holy Spirit. And you've had a drink of water. I'm getting thirsty talking about this. But are you full of water if you've just had a drink, just one drink, would you call yourself full of water? No. But is your heart hungry? Do you want to be filled? And when I think about this, I mean, I've already had the, in, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but when I start talking like this, are you full, Fallon? I'm pretty full, but I, I want to be fuller. Like, we can always be fuller. And then, are you thirsty? Yes, I'm full thirsty. And that's just my heart towards God. I'm not satisfied with just, well, I think I'm doing pretty good with my life now. I think I'm just good. That's not, that's not my heart towards God. My heart is always open and ready and receiving and ready for more. What's next, God? And, and that's, that's a really healthy place to be. So do you want to be filled? So I'm talking about two, two experiences of Holy Spirit. Experience one, the new birth or the receiving of eternal life. I mean, there's different phrases we use, so I'm going to try to cover most of them. But the new birth, receiving of eternal life, is experience one. In John 4, 10, and verses 13 and 14, Jesus is um, talking to the, Samar- the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, Jesus says to her, they're having, like, there's, this is kind of the middle of their conversation, and Jesus says to her, I like to think of it this way, girl, if you only knew 
the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And Jesus, Jesus said again, replied to her again in verse 13, anyone who, because you know what she says after that verse? She says, <laughs> sorry, this is kind of funny. So she, he gets through saying, I would give you living water. And she gets through hearing that and she's like, you don't even have a rope to pull a bucket up out of the well. <laughs> you know, Jesus is, Jesus is gently dealing with her, but she's like, you don't even have a rope. And he's like, no, no. He keeps her on track and he says, anyone who drinks this water that I have will soon, or this water will soon become thirsty again. And he's pointing her back back to back to him but those who drink the water that i give will never be thirsty again and it will become it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life so your first experience with holy spirit when you're born again it becomes a well of salvation that springs up within you And you will never thirst to be righteous again because you are righteous. And you have that well on the inside of you and it's bubbling up and that's where you draw from. That's where you draw your life and your victory from in your own personal situations. And this, we can go into Romans 8, 16 that says it this way. For God's spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So when we're born again, our newly created spirit is, is there, and God's Holy Spirit grabs hold of that spirit, and they come together, and it bears witness, and that's why we know that we know that we're saved. And in John three sixteen, for God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You'll have the, the well of eternal life will be in your spirit. And that experience of Holy Spirit is a well of salvation springing up and it's for your own personal benefit. And oh, it pleases God when, every, when anyone receives that experience with Holy Spirit. And that message is for the world. For those who don't know God, we preach Christ, John three sixteen, and people receive that measure of the Holy Spirit. But it's a measure. It's a cupful. It's a drink of Holy Spirit. But I don't want just a drink. I want to be full. I want to be filled with water. So experience number two, the infilling of Holy Ghost. Now, I don't want to lose you when I say Holy Ghost. Everyone's on the same page. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same thing. So the infilling of the Holy Ghost is experience number two. And Jesus carries on his water example in John chapter 7 now. Verses 37 to 39. <clears throat> On the last day, uh, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood out and cried, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was still walking around on earth, 
Holy Spirit had not been sent yet. But he's telling them what would happen when Holy Spirit would come. Oh, those who believe in Jesus and receive Holy Spirit, well, out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. So not only would they have just a well of salvation that bubbles up on the inside of them for their own personal use, but now they'd be moving into rivers of living water flowing out of them in order to bless the people around them. That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 24, 49, when he said to his disciples, And now I will send the Holy Spirit. He's just getting ready to go. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those, the power was the rivers of, will of the living water that flow out of us. Rivers of living water made to flow through believers to make them a blessing for others. We have to know that there's two experiences of Holy Spirit. Because if you don't realize that, you're going to, um, when you come to scriptures, you're not going to be able to rightly divide it. You're not going to know which one is which. And it, and it can cause confusion. But we need not be confused. We have the spirit of truth living on the inside of us when we receive, the, when we become um, born again. We can know. And if I come up against something that I don't really understand, whether it be something like, um, some, well, here's, like, if it's something even, uh, like a computer thing, or if it's something, you know, if you were going to school and you had to learn a subject that you weren't confident in, or, or the things of God, especially the things of God, the Lord has ministered this to me, that he's like, well, you've got the spirit of truth. I will be your teacher, and, he, and then he can lead us and guide us into things. And we don't need that crutch of, well, I don't have anybody to teach me. You have the teacher on the inside of you. And so we can be, that's just to encourage you. That's just to encourage you. Because if you feel like, oh, she's going over my head today, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The whole same Holy Spirit who's in me is in you. And he's teaching me, and he's teaching you. And, and, this, and God doesn't meet us where, where we pretend to be. He, just meet, he can only meet us where we are. So just be encouraged. This is all for your encouragement and our, and our benefit as a group of believers. So just stick with it. Two experiences. The new birth, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And then the second experience, the infilling of Holy Spirit when he comes to fill you up to overflowing. Okay? The second experience is for those who have already experienced experience one. Right? It's like grade one, you finish, and then you go into grade two. It's kind of the same thing. Things of God make sense. That just makes sense, right? So I'm going to take the pin out because we're going to come back now that we've talked about those two experiences. We're all on the same page. We're going to come back to when the power arrives. Acts 2, 1 to 4. Well, I'll just read verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. New King James puts verse 4 this way. And they were all filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first thing that happened 
when those people were filled with the Spirit was that they began to speak in tongues. So, and this is the case throughout the book of Acts where it speaks of people first receiving salvation and then being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. Um, yeah, we'll get into this a bit more, but you go, through the, you go through the stories in Acts and you see first they were born again and then they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Now, last week we talked, uh, Dad talked about, I would say he wet our appetite um, of, the, of the gifts of the Spirit and there was the nine gifts of the Spirit that are um, explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, yeah, and only seven of them were operating before the Holy Spirit came. So let's look at that. I don't know if I gave you that one, Nathan. Sorry if I didn't. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 to 10. Um, I guess it doesn't matter what translation, but New King James or whatever you have there. I don't even have it on my notes, so. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. And then here are the two new ones that came and are only seen in operation after the Holy Spirit came, and that's um, a different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So all through the Gospels of Jesus, we see all those gifts working in the church, working in the, his ministry. And, and even in the, New, in the Old Testament, those gifts were at work when the Holy Spirit would move. And Because uh, I don't think Mary could get pregnant without some kind of uh, manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, right? Or any of those uh, miracles that happened in those days. Um, but when Holy Spirit came, two new gifts were given to the church. Different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So let's talk about it. What is tongues? Well, tongues, first of all, like we just read, is the initial sign or evidence of being filled with Holy Spirit. And how do we know that? Well, all the instances in Acts, that's the example we have. They're filled, they're, uh, they become born again, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in other tongues. That's just our, that's the example in the Bible, so that's what it is. It's the initial sign or evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at, um, let's look at Acts 10. We'll just do a couple examples of this. Acts 10, verses 44 to 46. Did I give you those one? Oh, yeah. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of this Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How did they know the Holy Spirit had been poured out? Because they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. So they, they didn't have to guess, well, I don't think those Gentiles got the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to guess, they, they knew because... Well, they're speaking in tongues. I guess, they, I guess they did receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. How can this be? Like, it was hard. That was a hard thing for them to understand, but, but it was, that was the evidence. So let's go to chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Let's see another example. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There it is again. 
laid hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So it's the initial sign or evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So speaking in other tongues, this is something else about it, a characteristic about it, is speaking in other tongues is speaking not to others, but it's speaking supernaturally to God. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking to God, since people won't be able to understand you. That makes sense, right? If someone is talking and you don't understand their language, they're not talking to you because you don't speak their language, right? I know that because I work with quite a few Germans on the youth team. And if they're talking in German, I know they're not talking to me because all I know is like probably five words. So if I hear any of those, then I pay attention. But you guys. And what's so supernatural about it is that God, God has designed something so amazing for us to use that we can open our mouths and begin speaking by, by the Holy Spirit who's inspiring us on the inside. We can begin speaking and, it, and the words we're saying can bypass our intellect. They bypass like what our, understand, our, our natural understanding and, and yet that doesn't hinder our prayer. It just goes right through us and it's a perfect prayer because it didn't come from us. It didn't it didn't have the chance to get any of my baggage on it because it didn't go through my mind. It didn't go through my soul. That prayer went from my spirit and out of my mouth. Speaking in tongues bypasses our minds and it eliminates anything that would come from us and it leaves behind only God's perfect words. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14, um, verse 4 now, just down a few verses. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying but I don't understand what I'm saying. So it's talking about your three-part being, your spirit, your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, how you think and choose and feel, and then your body. So it's saying it goes right from your spirit over your soul and through your body, and it's released. Uh, Speaking in tongues are words inspired by Holy Spirit, but then they have to be spoken out by a born-again individual where the speaker does not understand with their natural mind the words they're saying. And keep in mind here that I'm saying that it's the Holy Spirit who is inspiring, but it's the person that's doing the talking. It's not some, like, grab control of your vocal cords and pff, let her blast. No, no, no. Holy Spirit doesn't, ro- doesn't roll that way. We have, we've been, we have been given choice from the very beginning, and we can choose when to speak in tongues and when not to. We just, we just yield. We open our mouths and release it. Inspired and spoken out by a born-again individual. And that's where, now we kind of come to a, a point in time where many in the body of Christ aren't strong on this. Because, well, Scripture's a little, it's a little um, contradictory there or a little weak. Oh, no, it's not. The word of God is anything but weak, and it's anything but unclear. And I would be the first to admit that if something doesn't make sense in that, that it's not the word's fault. I would much rather take the the responsibility for having the fault or the misunderstanding than God's word. Because if God's word is wrong, then God is wrong. We're not even going to go there. God is not wrong. He is right. Always right. So if I don't understand something in the word, it's because I'm not rightly dividing it. 
So let's talk about that. The bump in the road for so many believers when it comes to speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit, sorry, other way around, is that the Word of God is being wrongly divided about it. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Why don't you need to be ashamed? Because you've rightly divided the word of truth. When we're reading the Bible, we need to be aware of who's being spoken to and when was it written. Like, was it written before Jesus went to the cross? Was it written after Jesus went to the cross? Was it written to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the nations? And when it comes to tongues, you need to make sure that, because in one chapter, you can get totally confused and think that tongues isn't really that valuable. But we can rightly divide it. Rightly divide the word of truth about tongues. Here's, where, here's what we need to know about it. We've already read it, but I'm, we're going to point it out now. All tongues are the same in essence because they come from the Spirit. But they can be different in purpose or use. We already read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the two new gifts that were given different kind of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So all tongues are the same in essence, but they have different uses and purposes. And that's where we get hung up. So let's look at the different purposes for them. So tongues can be used as a sign. In Acts 2, verse 4, the first time tongues came on the scene. Actually, I have to flip to this one, so... All right, so the Holy, the Holy Spirit came on, filled them, and they began speaking in other languages that the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, that sound that sounded like a mighty rushing wind, uh, everyone came running, and they were bewildered because when they got there, they could hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. The tongues that they received that day were languages of these Jews that were visiting and they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. And they d- described that they were from all over. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What, does this, what can this mean, they asked each other. And so tongues that day was used as a sign. A sign that the Spirit had come. And it was used as a sign when we talked about earlier when, when the Holy Spirit was poured on the Gentiles. Um, I guess a little bit different there because they weren't speaking a known language, but it was a sign that, whoa, something's happened here because you don't speak my language and now you're speaking my language. I mean, there's lots of stories when you start researching about this of, of that happening in meetings where they'll just, the person speaking will not know a, a lick of Arabic, but they'll just, not even know that it's Arabic, but to just release a word of tongues. And then afterwards, a man, in this case, I'm, I'm, um, this man was not a believer, he came up to the speaker and he said, that was, I was wondering how you were going to translate that passage of scripture into Arabic because I thought it would be tricky, but you did a, you did a great job. And the speaker was like, oh, I did? I did a good job? That was Arabic? And he's like, yes, it was beautiful. And it was, it was a declaration of the goodness of God or something along those lines. And and then the speaker was like, well, that is good to hear because I do not know a word of Arabic. And the man was like, what? <laughs> I just heard you speak it to me in perfectly, perfect dialect and, and everything. And it was a sign to that non-believer. 
this is real. The Holy Spirit is real, and it's a sign and a wonder. So that's what happened. Tongues is a sign. It's one, one purpose. Tongues for ministry in a corporate setting is another. And, and that's where I'm going to kind of combine with, with the last, um, like the third purpose I have here today is for personal and private use. So that's when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. There's a bit of, uh, okay, so this is where you have to know who was Paul talking to. And I talked about this last week, that the Corinthians, I mean, they were spiritually, they were baby Christians. But, man, when they heard that there was gifts that the Spirit would provide and work, like, oh, they got on that wagon. And they were just like, things were happening, and the Spirit was moving, and they knew how to work in the, in the manifestation of those gifts. And, and they were able, and they were just going for it. And they were... And they were, like, it's almost better to go a little bit too hard than not at all, right? Like, you'd rather go to a, would you rather be at a circus where things are a little bit crazy or a graveyard where there's nothing happening, right? So Paul is like, you're a bit of a circus right now, (laughs) which is fun. But you know what? We can make this better. Because in chapter 13, it's a love chapter. First Corinthians 13 is a love chapter. And he's saying, baby Christians, come on, guys. You've got to love love first because if you don't if you have all those gifts and you don't love the people you're ministering to it's not worth anything so he's trying to grow them up spiritually and also encourage them to use these spiritual gifts so he's saying you gotta love do that first and then when you're ministering all the gifts of the spirit should work together it should be orderly and it should make sense and it should bless every single person that came that day both believers and non-believers so, so that's why in chapter 14, when he goes into saying, now, if you have tongues, that's great, but it'd be better if you'd prophesy. And he starts going between this both, and it kind of makes, if you don't read it with the right eyes or the right view, then you're going to kind of think, well, maybe we shouldn't, really, we shouldn't really have tongues so much. We should just stick to English. And you might kind of get that perspective, but let's not just take one chapter and let's not, let's rightly divide it, right? Because that, then we won't be ashamed. So, 1 Corinthians, well, okay, I'm not going to say on that minute, that corporate ministry, I'm going to move along because it's kind of, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> but for personal ministry and private use, I want to get to that. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, he's talking about personal and private use for tongues. And this is what happens when you speak in tongues in your personal and private time with God. You are getting a spiritual charge or an edification. It's like hooking up to a battery. And, well, okay, we have a little battery charger because our kids have these little electronic things that we do on our, um, when we were going down to Texas, that's a long drive. (laughs) And they needed a few recharges on their batteries. But we get the batteries out and we stick them into the charger. And that's what it's like when you engage in that gift of speaking in tongues. You begin charging your battery. And what does that remind you of? Power. You begin charging your battery and increasing your power. In Jude 20, it puts it this way. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
that you are, if you feel drained, your batteries are low, you have something given by God that you can do to charge yourself back up and strengthen yourself back up. And it's speaking in tongues. Now, you could, we, we could camp there for a while, but I'm going somewhere. I'm still going somewhere. You still with me? Okay. This is kind of a long journey we're on, but we're getting there. So now I'm moving on from what is tongues to the next thing, the scope and value of speaking in tongues. Because I think far too much in the church, far too much, the value and the scope of tongues has been so downplayed and it's been so like hushed and it's been so, we've almost been embarrassed of it. And that just ought not be. Any gift of this, that was given by God, we should not be ashamed to receive. And I think that we're just on the cusp of just receiving the fullness of it and not being ashamed of it. You know, the Lord spoke to me in January, girl, it's time to be brave. It's time to be bold and courageous. It's time to take heart. Come on. You can do this. It's in the word. You're not wrong. You're not weird. It's word. So be brave. I'm, I'm speaking this to you guys. Be brave. Be bold. Just go for it. If it's something you've never had before or something you've never wanted, take a drink. Be filled. This is our time. This is our only chance that we get to live on earth, and I intend for it to be good and glorious and for God to be able to do through me whatever he needs to do, right? And that should be the heart of each one of us because then when we gather together as a body, we exponentially increase what God can do and the power of his move. So the scope and value of speaking in tongues, we're just, all of these I have scriptures for, but I'm not going to go into them. I just want you to, I'm just like wetting your appetite again. And if you desire it, like, well, you'll be hungry for it, and we'll go further in it as we progress as a church. But this is just a little to wet your whistle. So speaking in tongues is praying in line with God's perfect will. We touched on that earlier. It doesn't go through our soul, so it's God's perfect will is prayed through us. Speaking in tongues is a way to magnify God and make him bigger. The moment you start speaking in tongues, you're immediately in a place where you're, you're magnifying God because that's his language. That's, that's the language only he understands. And you're, and you're making him bigger. The more you look at him and the closer you draw to him, the bigger he gets. Speaking in tongues reminds us of Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. So when we're more aware that Holy Spirit's on the inside of us, we're, we're more aware that he's there to help us respond right in situations. It's kind of what Denise was talking about. When situations come up and you feel like, where did that come from? If you are aware through speaking in tongues of Holy Spirit's living in you, you're going to be more able to react rightly. Speaking in tongues helps us worship God and become more sensitive to the spirit realm. Speaking in tongues stimulates faith because faith comes by hearing. And you know, if you develop your area, you might, developing your uh, faith in this area of, of working in the gift of speaking in tongues, you develop your faith in that area, it helps you develop your faith in other areas so that you can receive from God in all areas. Speaking in tongues gives spiritual refreshing. 
speaking in tongues is the best way to give thanks because you're not limited to your English vocabulary. You're able to fully express your, your love and thanks to God in his language. Speaking in tongues brings your tongue under subjection. Out of all the parts of your body, the tongue is the quickest to get in trouble, isn't it? It's how easy it is to say something, oh, I didn't mean that, or it's the hardest to control, the Bible teaches us. But when you make your tongue speak the tongues of God, it is under subjection. That's how you rule that muscle. Speaking in tongues protects us from the contamination of the world. <laughs> I was thinking about this one, and it's kind of um, like a, it reminded me of Bob's blanket, the way he said blanket, because ladies, you would, you would relate to this, maybe men, you would too, but let's say you go to the salon, and you're getting your hair done, and you're waiting for that color to set, and so you got like 30 minutes at least, so you're sitting in the chair, and so you know all the chatter, so you can kind of get to the, the chatters can kind of get going in the salon, and people are talking, and it's sometimes, for a lot of times, it's stuff you don't need to hear. It's not, it's not lovely or whatever. It's just kind of garbage. And, and so what you can do, if you speak in tongues, you can, like, put a blanket over your head, like, in the spirit, like this invisible blanket over you, and you can just speak in tongues silently to yourself. And it will help contaminate you or weigh your spirit down from what's going on around you. So that's a little trick if you want to keep that one in your back pocket. Tongues, this is one I want to get to because God is doing something and we're going to be ready for it. You know, we're declaring the manifestation of his power, his presence, and his goodness, his glory in this place. And that, his glory like those manifestations, those visitations, and those demonstrations, I don't want to have a box of what those look like. But I want to, but they're going to come through gifts of the Spirit because they're going to involve people getting set free in all areas. And they're going to involve signs and wonders and miracles and healings and deliverances and, and all that kind of stuff. And so speaking in tongues is the introduction to the gifts of the Spirit. It's the doorway into the supernatural realm of God. The infilling with the Holy Ghost and the practice of praying in other languages on a regular basis is the doorway to all the other benefits and spiritual equipment that are ours. It says to desire the spiritual gifts. Well, we desire all of them. We want all those nine gifts working in our church, actively, like, dependably, we, we don't just want that. We need that. The world needs to see that, that there is a God who is not weak. and not, He's not weak in love, and he's not weak in manifestations of love. And because speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with Holy Spirit like we've seen, speaking in tongues opens you up to a deeper dimension of the same Spirit. You know, we can go deeper in God if we want to. If we want to. No one's saying you have to. But there's a calling of God on each one of us saying, come a little bit deeper. Come on out here. And that's where we begin to see the signs and wonders and the miracles. And to be totally honest with you, getting ready to prepare this message or just thinking about these things, these last, these last few months and stuff, and, and 
I've had thoughts from the enemy come to me, thoughts of, well, who do you think you are? That's what he says to me a lot. He tries to make me feel like a little ant. Who do you think you are? Talking about signs and wonders and miracles. You've never been in, a, in the revivals of old. You haven't seen blind eyes open. You haven't seen amazing signs and wonders that can't be, um, that can't even be disputed. You haven't done those things. Like, but do you see what he's trying to do? I see it. I see the lights on, and I'm not going to be moved by what the enemy, the thoughts he tries to, to give me. The, the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible, his promises are for me. Whether I've seen it or not, the Bible is true. Whether I've experienced it or not, the Bible is true. And this is where I'm going. I'm forgetting all that's behind and I'm pressing on forward because this is my desire. My heart says, go deeper, Fal. I desire it. I want that. And I think, and I know there's hearts in here that do too. And that's why we've been brought together for such a time as this. I'm going to read to you quote from this is a very good textbook this is a book called Tongues Beyond the Upper Room by Kenneth E. Hagen it's a very good study tool if you have questions about Holy Spirit I mean it, it looks like a thick book but really he's got lots of stories in it lots of examples and actually lots of scripture which is which is right so be a great book but anyways I'm going to start with I'm going to do this quote from it So in the light of all these purposes for speaking in other tongues that are set forth in the scriptures, we can readily see that each one is designed for our benefit and our gain. Therefore, it's amazing to me that people ask, what good does a person get out of speaking with other tongues? Is there any value in talking to God supernaturally? Yes, there must be, or God wouldn't have provided the means to do so. If God says tongues are a supernatural means of communication with him, then we need this supernatural means of communication with him. If God says tongues edify the one who speaks, then the one who speaks needs this edification or this supernatural ability to empower him in the Holy Ghost. No matter what a believer feels or does not feel when he speaks in tongues, he's being built up. You might, you might start speaking in tongues and feel like, well, that's kind of boring. I didn't feel a thing. What does it mean? That doesn't mean something didn't happen. No matter what, if you feel or don't feel, when you speak in tongues, you are being built up. Because that's what the word says. And if God says tongues are of value, then they are of great and marvelous value. If he values them, I value them. Beyond the scope of anything we have yet imagined or experienced in him. I'm going to close with this. My last heading. The power problem solved. One of the biggest problems in the church today is a power problem. Not just even in the church, but in in the individual lives of the people in the church. I mean, I'm sure we can all relate to a time where we felt just kind of like powerless, overwhelmed maybe, but it it need not be that way. 
We don't have to, we don't have to stay there. We're not going to deny the power of the Spirit that's available to all of God's children. We're not going to deny the power of the fullness of the Holy Spirit or the access to the spiritual gifts, the doorway of speaking in tongues. We're not going to deny those things. Today is the day for more power. Today is the day for more power. I want you to say this. Today is the day for more power. Today is my day for more power. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. He will visit every hungry heart. There is no need to feel unworthy or unready. He will visit every hungry heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What is he searching for? Hearts. First Samuel 16.7 he instructs Samuel, don't judge by the, uh, the appearance or the height. I don't look at that. I look at the heart. You don't have to be or look or act a certain way. Your heart needs to be towards God. Your heart is only needs to be thirsty. And then in Luke 11... 11 to 13, says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? I like to add, no. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? No. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? <laughs> if then... Being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Receiving the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is, is a result of a hungry heart. A heart that's had a drink and been born again, but is still thirsty for more power and to be filled with Holy Spirit. Can you come up? All right, you guys, why don't you stand up? 